0: Welcome to Vegan Boss Radio, where we will be talking about all things related to business, health, and lifestyle. We connect with passionate vegans from around the world so they can share their stories, challenges, and what it's like to navigate being vegan in a non-vegan world. we get into the episode today. um, Megan is away again for this episode and she will be for the next few episodes as she's taking a course online that is taking up all of her time. Um, But we do have quite a few um, exciting guests for the next few months, so that's really exciting. I know I say that all the time, everyone is an exciting guest. Um, And then the other announcements, um, I recently made one of my favorite taco recipes on Unchained TV's Lunch Break Live. So you can get the recipe and watch the video if you want on their website, UnchainedTV.com. If you're on our Instagram, I've put the link in the bio. So at vegan underscore boss, um, you can find the link there. So we hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Vegan Boss Radio. I am so excited for this episode. Um, Today, our guest is Ryan Geiger. So Ryan is a registered dietitian and vegan author who specializes in vegan nutrition. She is the owner of Phoenix Vegan Dietitian, where she helps others easily transition to vegan living. She has many years of experience in vegan nutrition and believes in positively impacting the world one bite at a time. Ryan is an expert in this field and has been featured in Women's Health and Business Insider. You can connect with her at uh, Phoenix Vegan and that's PHX Vegan or on Instagram, uh, PHX Vegan Dietitian. And we will put all of those links in the show notes for you so you can easily find her online. Um, so thanks for being here, Ryan. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to talk to you today.
1: I know you love nutrition and I love nutrition, so I know it's going to be a really fun conversation.
0: Yeah, I mean, this one, I'm I'm so glad you were like open to this idea, but we're going to be addressing kind of like the most common nutrition myths, not only just like in general nutrition, but even in like from within the vegan community. So, mm-hmm. I'm excited to get into those. But first, um I'd love to know like how you ended up being a vegan dietitian? Yeah. So it's kind of a wild ride on how I became a dietitian because
1: that's not what I had anticipated doing at first. Uh, I wanted to be a nurse at first and all through high school, I was like, Oh, I'm going to be a nurse. And I want to work in the ER because it's really fast paced. And I love Mm -hmm. not being bored. (laughs) I like just kind of staying active and doing whatever. And then I took one of the CNAs, so like a certified nursing assistant course. Mm-hmm. I hated it. It was like the absolute worst class I had ever taken. And I, I was very concerned because the whole entire time I thought I was going to be a nurse and then finding out that I didn't really like it. I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Cause yeah. I, I don't want to do this. And I learned that I didn't like it within the course. And I told the teacher, I was like, I don't like it this like at all is there anything else like any other aspect of the hospital that I could go watch or is there anything else I could do besides doing this and she was really nice and she helped me find different areas of the hospital so she told me I could watch surgery I did not do that I I was really afraid of like passing out I don't know why because okay. it doesn't gross me out too much but I had this idea that I was going to pass out So I didn't go there. And then she was like, or we have the hospital dietitian, and you can Mm. go like see what she's doing with nutrition. And I was like, okay, I will do that. So I went to the hospital dietitian, and she was doing outpatient consultations at that time. And she had all these really cool food models. And so she was like showing her clients how to build meals with the food models. And I thought that was really fun and something I could be interested in and I had already done like a little bit of food science in the past, the science. Okay. So I ended up going to Arizona state, which didn't have a food science program, but they did a dietetics program. And from there, I just kind of decided I would
0: be a dietitian. (laughs) That's so cool. Um, were you already like vegan at that point or how did that evolve?
1: No. So I wasn't vegan until my third, I think the my third year of college and I was there for four years. So it was quite a while into my nutrition journey that I realized what nutrition actually was and how it applied to my life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I know the first few years that I was in college for nutrition, I was like, I would go to like Whataburger and nothing wrong with going to any of these places. I had no idea of like, what a balanced meal is yeah. or like how to create things that are actually helpful. So I was eating out a lot. I, um, didn't really cook a whole lot. I loved ice cream. I
0: liked, um, I don't know. Do you, do you know Reese's sticks? No, like Reese's peanut butter cup.
1: Yeah, but they're okay. in
0: sticks oh, and there's okay. like these wafers and but I lived for those <laughs> and I wish they had a yeah. vegan version because yeah. they're so good. So at this point, you start um, dietitian school. You're not vegan, and then in your third year, um, you watch Calspiracy. You said,
1: yeah. So I watched okay. Calspiracy, and I really liked the environmental impact of not eating animal products. So it was kind of a no brainer to me to not eat animal products because I really wanted to do the best for the environment. Mm -hmm. And then the next day I literally decided I was going to be vegan, had no idea what I was going to eat. So I lived on potatoes and salad and I found these tofu noodles with, um, roasted vegetables. And that was like what I ate for a, an embarrassingly long amount of time because I didn't know like what vegan food was, even though now I'm like, well, like vegan food is literally everything everything, (laughs) except for like meat, eggs, dairy, you know, like I just did not kind of get it figured out, but I figured it out. And that's kind of what inspired me to create my business on helping people transition to vegan. Because if anyone's like me from the Midwest, um, It's really heavy emphasis on like meat and potatoes. So if you take out the meat, which is the center of your meal, like what do you eat besides potatoes? So I wanted to be able to help other people figure out how to be vegan.
0: So I um, went to university for nutrition, and it was like the same program that dietitians go through. And I just remember there wasn't a lot of information about like how to be vegan or how to be vegetarian properly. So I'm wondering if you had the same experience, like, what did your professors think of you being vegan or like some of your classmates?
1: There wasn't a whole lot of education on vegan eating. There was, I think one class touched on it really briefly, but I liked the concepts of like micronutrients or macronutrients. You could always frame it in a plant-based way. So if they're talking about calcium, instead of thinking about cow's milk, you could think Mm -hmm. of like leafy green veggies or different types of legumes, things like that still have calcium. So you have the same you're learning the same thing, but you kind of reframe it for yourself so that it makes sense. And it's something that you're interested in. So Mm -hmm. it's a little bit more work, but it also helps you remember and study on the different types of nutrients within food and how they're used in your body.
0: Okay. So yeah, I like with, um, in some of my classes, we actually had, like, the dairy farmers of Canada oh, no. come and talk to us. And it was so, like, heavily influenced, like, um, like pushing people towards, like, consuming, like, getting their calcium from dairy. And kind of like, oh, this is, like, the only way or, like, the best way to get it. <laughs> so That's tragic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was pretty uh, What did you do? Oh, I just, like, sat there and, like, yeah, just in disbelief at kind of like what was going on. Um, I think I had one friend, um, that I went to university with that was also vegan. So did you have any other people in your life that, um, you guys could support each other?
1: Um, not really. I had one friend at the time whose mom was vegan. Okay. (laughs) But no, like direct people at that time were vegan i don't okay. think
0: okay um so as you kind of like were going through school and finishing like your third and fourth year um did you start kind of taking those principles that you were learning and applying it to your diet of potatoes and tofu noodles and everything oh my goodness
1: i wish that i would have like okay i started <laughs> my instagram yeah. when i first went vegan and I like did a whole, you know, the whole rebrand yourself, whatever, blah, blah, once yeah, you yeah. get kind of good at it. And I literally deleted all of the old stuff that made no sense. And I wish I could go back and look at it because I'm sure it's horrible. Like it has <laughs> to be so horrible. Yeah. But I tried my best. So yeah. yes, I ended up using the principles that I learned. Um, I loved roasting veggies. I loved going to the farmer's market and getting a ton of stuff, like fresh produce. And I would just roast everything. And I would use like this dip. It's like a garlicky type of, it's like hummus, but not quite hummus, but it's a dip for whatever you want. But I would dip vegetables in it. I learned how to cook tofu. I learned how to like season beans. So it was great to figure that out. And I also started working at the gym and I was teaching exercise classes. So I only or not only did I change my diet, but I also changed my lifestyle. Okay.
0: Nice. Could you feel any of the benefits from eating more veggies and like exercising more? Yeah, I
1: definitely had a ton of benefits. Luckily, I know not everyone has a ton of like weight loss benefits mm-hmm. or like benefits that they're seeking out because there's with nutrition, it's very complicated. Mm-hmm. And so just doing one thing sometimes doesn't always give you the results you want, but I was fortunate enough to have a lot of good results. So I think I have a little bit of a sensitivity to dairy that I didn't know before because my face was like always a little bit red and puffy and it was like almost itchy sometimes. But when I stopped eating dairy, like the inflammation just in my face like, um, really, really improved. And so my skin got a little bit more clear from not having dairy, which was super awesome for me because I was always like, Oh my gosh, my skin always looks so bad. But once I stopped drinking or eating products with dairy in it, my face just got a whole lot better.
0: Nice. Yeah. I think that's pretty common that link between like dairy and skin health hmm yeah I was so
1: excited and even now if I like accidentally have something with dairy in it or whatever I, I try my best not to get that but sometimes you're poisoned and <laughs> if it has dairy in it and I didn't like realize it or like it has been cross-contaminated in some way I can tell on my face that it's like itchy and I'm like oh my gosh that definitely had dairy in it like none of my other body feels weird or bad but my face will just like be itchy
0: okay Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You can feel it right away. Yeah. It's, uh, I should get a,
1: a test to see what dairy does to me, but I'm just using my clinical judgment skills. I'm going to say dairy is a leading contributor to this problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, so how long have you had your, your practice up and running?
1: My practice started in 2017. Right. When I finished my internship. Okay. So, um, I have, I was having a hard time finding something that I really wanted to do being vegan. I didn't want to work in traditional settings because it's not really super vegan friendly. And I just didn't feel like that really aligned with what I was trying to do. And so I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I decided to create something of my own and try to do that it started as a food blog. Cause so I was like, Oh, I'll just share recipes. And then it turned into like one-on-one coaching a little bit with food blog. And then it turned into group coaching with one-on-one coaching. <laughs> and now it's a little bit of one-on-one coaching, but mostly working with brands and writing. So doing articles for different PR outlets, I'm um, writing books, writing blog posts for others. Um, that kind of is where it's at now, which is really, really fun to have such a variety of different things you can do within nutrition.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. That makes it really interesting. You can kind of find like what you really enjoy doing within that industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it
1: takes a little bit of time, but once you find what you love, I always say like, if you find what you love, you might as well try to do it because then it's you have to work for quite a long period of time in your life. So you might as well have fun doing
0: it. Yeah, exactly. Um, So with like some of your one-on-one coaching, do you ever have clients that come to you that aren't vegan? And like, do you talk to them about eating more plants? Or is it always like people that are already vegan curious and want to know how to do it properly?
1: In my practice, rarely will I have anyone who eats meat um, they may still be eating like dairy or eggs occasionally, but they're all predominantly like super veg curious and ready to make the transition. I haven't had anyone come to my private practice who wasn't interested in it at all. Um, but in my like positions, not within my private practice, definitely. There are a lot of people who, um, are not open to plant-based eating or they're just like not interested or they don't know anything about it. So I try my best to provide them education without being really pushy Mm -hmm. because I don't want them to push back.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important. Okay. And then um, you, you have a book out, right? It's a cookbook.
1: Yeah. I just uh, finished up with my first cookbook. It's called vegan slow cooking for two. Okay. It's, you just need a slow cooker, some ingredients. And it's really cool because most slow cooker books are for like large families. So Mm -hmm. it's harder for people who have smaller households to cook slow cooker meals. So it it gives a different view of slow
0: cooking. That is so cool. That's something like I didn't really think about is like the other slow cooking recipes um, are like huge batches. It's for like huge families or I guess like batch cooking where you can like freeze the leftovers so that's great that there's yours that are geared to one to two people I love that Mm -hmm. yeah and
1: I'll shout out some
0: recipes in case anyone wants
1: to try them but I love the pad thai and you can put the tofu in the slow cooker if you like the softer style of tofu, but if you want it more crispy, I've done it on the pan too and just toss it in there. And once it's done, it's super, super good. And also if you like lasagna, there's a super tasty lasagna recipe in there. And then the enchiladas are one of my favorites as well.
0: I had no idea you could make all of those in a slow cooker. Yeah, it's so <laughs> that's cool. so cool. Um, okay, so I'm wondering like we talked a little bit beforehand about some of these myths that we are tired of seeing everywhere. (laughs) Um, like maybe not everywhere, but you know what like Instagram is like, there's like people with no nutrition education giving out nutrition advice. So, um, I mean, for myself, um, some of the the ones that we we're going to talk about, I I still see quite a bit, and then even like within um, the vegan community, there's some that uh, still go around. So I'm wondering if you wanted to, if we should jump into some of those myths now. Yeah, I love nutrition myths. I love busting nutrition myths. I love seeing nutrition
1: myths. Yeah. I mean, I don't love. I should take that back. I don't love <laughs> seeing them. I love seeing them. So I can be like, Oh my gosh, let's talk about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, So I know one of the first ones uh, we wanted to talk about was kind of like the detox kits. So did you want to um start off with uh talking about that? Yeah, detox kits.
1: So there's so many detox kits. I feel like this is one of the most popular that I see people promoting is like detox your body, especially we just passed the new year. So like at that time of the year, it's always about like detox your body or summer's coming up. So there's gonna be like summer detox. And it's it's basically a huge money grab because detox kits don't really work at all. And the main thing your body needs for it to detox is your kidneys and your liver, those are automatically going to detox your body for you. And anything additional isn't like detoxing. It is maybe healthful. So if you have like um, juice every once in a while, not doing like a juice cleanse, but if you have like cold pressed juice every once in a while, that does have health benefits in it that are going to promote longevity and promote health, but doing it for like seven days or doing it for like, 30 days or whatever the detox kit has in it. um, I feel like that can put you at a really high risk for bad things happening to you, like dehydration or nutrition deficiencies, or really lots of different ailments that you might run into.
0: Yeah, there's, there's just so much like misinformation. What you said, like our body is detoxing every second of every day. We don't need to do anything special to have it be detoxing. (laughs) That's just like what our body does. And then what I like, I think is important is like our health depends on like what we do consistently, like over our lifetime, not like, you know, eat processed, like highly processed foods for you know, 10, 11 months of the year and then buy like a two week detox and think that that's like going to do anything. And then you just go back to your regular, like super highly processed, um, uh, like diet. Um, and then yeah. Also, I think you mentioned dehydration. So with a lot of these detox kits, and I think we were going to talk about like the flat tummy teas and stuff like that too. A lot of them have the stimulant laxative herbs in them. And those are just, they're they are like not only like habit forming, but they're just like, I think they're rushing stuff out of your body before you're even like, say you do have like a good meal <laughs> and you want to absorb all of those nutrients. It's just being like, everything is just like being flushed out so quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And you bring up a lot of good points in that, especially with uh, the patterns of your lifestyle every month or every day, you have the opportunity to choose different healthful foods and if you're choosing foods that aren't going to promote health how can you expect it to your health to be corrected in 7 days if you've been mm-hmm. not working on your health for the other 300 some odd days of the year
0: yeah exactly and i am i'm not like um trying to like bash all like processed foods and say you should never eat those but i think what's interesting like we have talked about um like the 80 20 rule where like, you know, eating 80% whole foods, like plant-based whole foods, your body can kind of deal with like other things that don't fit into that category. But what we see a lot in um, like North America is like the opposite, like maybe 20% people are getting like their whole uh, fruits and veggies and whole grains and beans in. So yeah, just kind of like looking at like what the majority of your diet is Mm -hmm. on a day to day basis.
1: Yeah, I definitely think processed foods have a place for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I totally agree. You don't have to avoid them 100%. Like if you got frozen vegetables, technically that's processed. So like you can choose those as much as you want, go for it. But things more like ding-dongs or cookies or ho-hos or whatever those are, those are going to be things that you'd want to avoid more often than you would choose. So basically finding the balance.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, And you mentioned juicing and I always find this so interesting that like, people will promote like long, like seven day or even more, like longer than seven days of just having juices. But when our liver is doing its thing, like phase one and phase two detoxification pathways, it like, excretes those metabolites those like transformed toxins I don't like to use that word because there's like (laughs) people don't really understand what it's referring to but um like those transformed toxins get excreted into the small intestine and they're supposed to be carried out by fiber but like with juice cleansing long term there's no fiber to like carry those things out of your system in your stool so I always think that's like a big piece that's being missed um when people are talking about detoxing yeah detoxing in itself i think it's just been
1: popular from media and there's no there's no like good scientific research to support mm-hmm. any of the detox materials that people can purchase at different stores or like from your favorite influencer online like mm-hmm. they don't have any nutrition background so i would just be cautious of who you're accepting your nutrition information from online.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, I do think there's something to be said for like like how I mentioned there's two phases um, that the liver uh, processes toxins, phase one and phase two. And those like processes actually require certain nutrients. So if someone isn't meeting their, like getting um, their micronutrients in in insufficient amounts maybe there could be like like less um effective phase one and phase two detoxification so that just comes down to like overall um nutrient intake I think
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and to another note on fiber needing to be well fiber is essential but it's Mm -hmm. essential in a lot of different ways um but another thing that if you're doing a juice cleanse or any type of like detox that your body might not be able to do since it's missing that fiber is to take out cholesterol as well. Mm -hmm. So when you have higher fiber diets, it can help, um, grab onto that cholesterol as well. And since you excrete fiber, that's not going to be excreted just like the the toxins too. So Mm -hmm. fiber has a huge role within our bodies of detoxing per se. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. It's such like an underrated um component of food but it it does so much for us Mm -hmm. um yeah and just like one note about like the juicing I'm not against like juicing at all like if I had like my juicer set up and it was easier to clean (laughs) I would have juice like every day like I like making it though like the leafy greens and cucumber and some ginger and lemon and all that stuff but I find like there is benefits to that because you kind of like you instantly absorb like some of the micronutrients in there. Um, Like I feel like it's a very quick like infusion of nutrients, but not to solely do only juices for like long-term that I'm like, uh, (laughs) maybe like Mm -hmm. incorporating it into like, like what you're already eating on a day-to-day basis if you enjoy it. Yeah, definitely.
1: If you enjoy doing it, And that's not the only thing you're doing. Definitely Mm -hmm. feel free to add it into your diet.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, And yeah, you mentioned the protein combining. Like that is such like, I think the person who even like first talked about that, um, uh, like took that um, statement back years later as more information came out. Um, Because yeah, it's not like what amino acids you're getting in a particular meal it's like what you're getting across like the day or even like a couple days because it all goes to like your amino acid like pool in your body and then your body draws on those when it's building like a new enzyme or like a protein in the body um so yeah I think that's important just because if like someone is new to plant-based eating and thinking that they now all of a sudden have to think like carefully plan like okay, this food is low in methionine, what can I add to like, (laughs) you know, that will have more methionine. So yeah, we don't have to stress about that. Yeah,
1: I think that's super important. And I, I hope that that goes out of date soon, like people stop hearing about it, you know, when trends just die completely. And it's like, Oh, remember back in the 1970s when this happened, I hope that happens with the protein combination.
0: (laughs) Yes, me too. Exactly. Um all right. So I'm wondering maybe your thoughts on the alkaline diet. Alkaline diet.
1: So side note, the alkaline diet I I hate, but I hate it also because there was this food truck in Phoenix that I loved, and they had these really awesome drumsticks, and they were, I think they were made of Seitan, and they had um I think it was like a sugar cane, something, some part of a sugar cane acted as like the, the handle. You know, like a drumstick. Oh, okay, yeah. It's got the handle on it. So, and it was so cool. And it was like I've never seen that before. It tasted so good. They had a lot of Caribbean flavors and flair on a lot of their dishes, and it was so, so cool. And so, how this ties into an alkaline diet is because they decided to change their entire menu. To be alkaline, and they removed everything, including those drumsticks. No, not the drumsticks. (laughs) drumsticks. (laughs) I think about those drumsticks a lot. Let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. But so they they switched to alkaline, and it that's kind of a popular one within the vegan community as well as the general public. And our body likes to be at a specific pH. So no matter. What we put into our body, if it's acidic like hot sauce, if it's alkaline like aloe vera, Mm -hmm. it is going, our body is going to go back to its normal pH. And there are different parts of our body, even that are at different pH. So, like our stomach has stomach acid. So, it's really acidic in there. Whereas, like my arm is not going to be as acidic as my stomach. So, each part of our body has a specific pH, our body overall has a pH that it likes to be, mm-hmm. and the alkaline diet or trend or fad <laughs> is kind of, again, just a little bit of a waste of money. I will say the only thing I like about the alkaline diet is that it promotes really high intake of fruits and vegetables. <laughs> so if you um, take anything away from that, I would say continue doing the fruits and vegetables and that, that's all.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. And you bring up so many good points. Like I think our blood pH has to only be between like 7.35 and 7.45 or something. And if it goes outside of that, we die. So like the body is very um, good at regulating um, like the pH of our blood because um, our life depends on it. And then, yeah, like you said, different um parts of the body are supposed to be like more acidic or more alkaline. Um, So there's just like, I I think, oh, and what else is interesting is like a, a food outside of the body, like lemon juice, for example, is acidic, but then it's supposed to like make your body more alkaline. Like it leaves an alkaline ash. So there's like all of like the, differences between how you categorize something based on like what happens once you ingest it too um but I know people will say like oh it's like it's not trying to change your blood ph it's just like how hard your body has to like work to keep it at that range so I don't know there's like what you said though is like it's it promotes um high intake of fruits and veggies, which is very beneficial for everyone. So, yeah, if that's, like, the one takeaway, I think um, that's really – that would be what you can focus on. (laughs) But, it, I mean, when I see people, like, posting about it or talking about it who don't, like, have nutrition backgrounds, they're just, like, sharing, like, really pretty, colorful meals and everything, it just – to me, it, it pushes people towards like being fearful of of food, of certain foods and trying to like adhere to very like strict um, guidelines, which I feel like isn't like healthy overall. Like, I don't know. I have Mm -hmm. lots of thoughts. (laughs) I,
1: I have a lot of questions for like the alkaline group of people because it's, I feel like when you say alkaline that indicates you are trying to change the pH of something. Yes. Yeah. And if they're saying, Oh, it's not meant to do like to change your body's pH. Then like, why is it called that? Yeah.
0: Lots of questions. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Um, Oh, I was reading something really interesting the other day because to kind of go along with the alkaline diet is um, that uh, people will say um, cancer only grows in acidic tissue. Um, So I was reading, I think it was like a biochemist or something where they were saying, maybe it's not that the cancer grows in an acidic tissue. It's just that cancer cells have such like a higher, um, metabolic rate that they're creating more acid byproducts. So it's like the cancer itself that is making the tissue around it more acidic. Hmm. So it's kind of like a chicken or egg thing. (laughs) So people are kind of thinking like, oh, okay, like if I'm acidic, uh, I'm more prone to cancer, but maybe it's just like the cancer is creating, the cancer cells are creating that acid environment. Yeah.
1: That's kind of cool and like a not cool way but it's I always am conflicted with science because Mm -hmm. there's so many things that are like wow that's really cool and then you're looking at it and you're like "Mm, actually I don't know if I should say that out loud in like a room full of the general (laughs) public because like cancer cells aren't cool and I'm not saying they are cool but it's cool to see like research on how it affects our body because we really don't know a whole lot about it so Mm -hmm. like being able to identify Different things that it does to our body might help us find a solution or an answer on like what to do next. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. Um and I guess kind of like along those lines of like specific um diets that are being promoted. Um, do you still see people promoting like the blood type diet or people talking about that?
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) sadly I do. Uh, I, I heard it recently. I don't know where I was or what I was doing, but I heard someone mention like, Oh, well, it's like my, this is the best diet for my blood type. And I was like, Oh no, no. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, all, the, the blood type diet, basically it's, it's been popular since the, like, I think early two thousands, maybe late nineties. And, essentially, it was like a doctor who decided that eating, you could eat four different ways based on your blood type. And allegedly, each blood type has a specific set of traits that Mm -hmm. specific foods can impact. Um, And I, I pulled it up here so I could Read off the different types. Sure. Yeah. I (laughs) I think it's so fun. Okay. So, type A blood is called the cultivator, and people who are type A should eat a diet rich in plants and completely free of toxic red meat. It closely resembles a vegetarian diet. Okay. (laughs) Type B is called the nomad. These people can eat plants and meats except for chicken and pork. They can also eat some dairy. However, they should avoid wheat, corn, lentils, tomatoes, and a few other things. (laughs) Type AB is called the enigma. Um, It's described as a mix between types A and B. So foods to eat include seafood, tofu, dairy, beans, and grains, but they should avoid kidney beans, corn, beef, and chicken. So random. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Type O is called the hunter, and this is a high-protein diet based largely on meat, fish, and poultry. They can have certain fruits and vegetables, but it's limited in grains, legumes, and dairy. This one's closer to a paleo diet. Wow. So that's, <laughs> the, that's the blood type diet. And yeah. it, as you mentioned, it's like kind of random. So like mm-hmm. there's really no rhyme or reason, I don't think. No.
0: And I, I, I know there has been like a systematic review done on the literature to see if any part of it makes any scientific sense. And there isn't like there, there was like thousands of studies that were looked at in this review. And like the bottom line was like, uh, this is uh kind of bogus. <laughs> um, Imagine that. Yeah. 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 Um, and I find it funny like the doctor who started, who like wrote the book on it. Um, and he actually released like a updated version a few years later, That he in his books, he's always saying that he's like, like in his first book, he said he was on year eight of a 10-year study. And so that he would be like on the benefits of the blood type diet so that he would be like releasing that, like publishing that information in the next couple of years. And this was like in the 90s. So yeah, that never came out. (laughs) And then like he said the same thing in um, his updated book. He said like he was doing... Um, like a 12-week experiment um to test like the benefits. I think it was specifically to do with like arthritis or something, but yeah, that never came out. So yeah,
1: experiment, (laughs) and that's a really good word for this. Like experiment.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think you know, there is something to be said for people that like try something like this and then say they feel better, but thing is it's not to do with them following a specific set of rules it's because usually they're like eating more whole foods and less processed foods when they do something like that so of course they're gonna feel um some like benefits there mm-hmm. yeah
1: yeah definitely <laughs>
0: um I think part of kind of like the blood type diet is um something to do with lectins so, I know even more recently than the blood type diet book is, I don't even want to say the title, it just that book, the doctor who wrote it and the book drives me <laughs> like it makes me so upset. <laughs> but, um, yeah, there was like a whole book that came out about the dangers of lectins. So, I'm wondering if you'd like to talk about that.
1: Yeah, I hear about lectins often, actually. I have
0: a lot of people asking
1: me about lectins or anti-nutrients or different things that come into foods. And um, so basically what lectins are, um, they are considered an anti-nutrient and they're found in different types of plants, but mostly like raw legumes, like beans, lentils, um, peas, soybeans, maybe some peanuts um, and some whole grains have lectins. And they essentially let's see, they essentially just like are proteins that bind to carbohydrates. And it's thought that they don't allow you to get the maximum benefit to these different types of nutrients from the foods and that they're inhibiting that and that they can cause like gut irritation. I hear that a lot as well within Mm -hmm. the lectins. Um, But my personal stance on lectins is... If you, if you feel like you have a problem with lectins, there's lots of ways that you can re- potentially reduce the amount of lectins within your food. But I personally would rather people eat beans, lentils, legumes, whole grains, and get the benefits from it because there's so many more benefits from these types of foods and there are lack of benefits.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you talk about decreasing levels and cooking decreases the levels so people aren't eating like raw beans and like raw whole grains so I mean why is there like this huge concern um with that and I mean along those lines of like the benefits you mentioned of beans and legumes and whole grains um, like all of the longest living populations around the world. So what we call like the blue zones, their whole diet is based on like legumes and whole grains (laughs) and like fresh veggies and tomatoes, like tomatoes are supposed to be like a high lectin food, but there's like really good studies showing how they actually like decrease inflammation in the body. Um, So, yeah, I mean, have you looked into that book about lectins at all? Um, I have picked up that book, but I get
1: frustrated and have to put said book down.
0: Yes. (laughs) I mean, just the fact that, like, he's selling all of these supplements to, like, block lectins or break lectins down. Like, that's a huge red flag to me. And then I was just, like, watching on... um, like one of Dr. Michael Greger's videos about it. And he actually like went into the book's references and was curious about like, okay, what is this like person actually referencing? So this is so hilarious. Like the first reference in the book. um, So the book says something about like how eating egg yolks doesn't, um, or actually like reduces cholesterol levels. And so he goes, Dr. Greger, like goes to that study that he references when he makes that statement. And it's a study that like in the group that was given egg yolks, they actually reduced the total saturated fat intake of the whole diet by 50%. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, then your cholesterol goes down. What do you know? (laughs) So yeah, it's just like the manipulation of data and even like within studies like that. It's like I remember one came out a few years ago that was like, I don't know, something to do with like how cheese decreased cholesterol, but it was comparing it to people like uh, it had replaced like butter or something or lard. So like one group was eating like a bunch of lard or butter and then the other group wasn't but they were having some cheese and so that group's cholesterol went down and they're like cheese reduces cholesterol <laughs> uh, yeah just, I feel like yeah. that's I mean it's funny, funny but it's not funny
1: <laughs> I think it's hilarious but yeah. listen, it's like how I think cancer cells are cool it's like yeah. you shouldn't think that but alas cancer cells are cool outside of a human body we'll say yeah. that yeah um Yeah, I was reading a a book that I really didn't like either. And I was looking at their resources Mm -hmm. and the author of the book sourced himself multiple times. Oh, and I was like, no, you cannot use your (laughs) own. You can, but like you cannot use it throughout the entire book to prove your point.
0: (laughs) Wow, I think I've seen that before and it wasn't even like the person was referencing their, an, a study they did. It was like a like a review that they wrote, like an opinion piece that they wrote that was published in a journal. So it wasn't even a study. Oh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's interesting the stuff that's out there. Um, okay, so I'm wondering if we should get into some of the myths that are still um, out there in the vegan community okay yeah um so one that really like bothers me is when they'll put up like food comparisons being like broccoli has more protein than beef and then you look at it and it's like comparing like 100 calories to 100 calories so I don't like seeing these um dishonest food comparisons when they're like comparing um very unrealistic serving sizes, like a hundred calories of broccoli is like three and a half cups. Whereas like a hundred calories of beef is like a little over one ounce. And I think like an ounce is maybe like one eighth of a cup or something. So it's just like, why are you comparing like those (laughs) amounts so I'm just wondering if you've seen anything like that too that just like you see it and you're like that doesn't make sense
1: yeah I see the broccoli comparison I see mushrooms as a comparison and I I think my own personal opinion is I think it comes from people who are trying to defend like vegans don't get enough protein and so Mm -hmm. they're like oh look and there, you know, that image of like the, the beef on this, the fork and the broccoli on the oh, fork, yeah. that one go, it circles around. And I feel like it circles around every few years. And that also should be something that we're like, oh, you remember back in 1990? <laughs> yeah, that should yeah. go there too. Yeah. Um, But I feel like when it circles around, people are like, oh, broccoli has protein, a lot of protein compared to beef. And so I think it just gets taken from that image and Mm -hmm. people look at the visual and look at the title and then don't look at anything else which is fine for a consumer we shouldn't be advertising incorrect information to them Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but I think that's where it comes from
0: yeah I just find it like so unnecessary too because like it's not hard to get enough protein on from plants but we don't have to like say that it's all coming like it's coming from broccoli which if you're eating like a regular serving size you're really not getting like that much protein from it it's like let's compare you know a serving size of tofu to a typical serving size of like animal product you know that would be like a more fair comparison but it just really doesn't even seem necessary to do that And then it's just so easy for like non-vegans to pick it apart and kind of dismiss like everything that
1: we that we say. Yeah, but it definitely makes it easier for them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yeah, I see that one a lot, and I I would agree to having more fair comparisons. And even if we had the fair comparisons, it would also provide better education too for people on vegan
0: eating. So yeah, yeah, win win yeah, totally. Um, so other, other kind of myths in the vegan community, um, maybe your thoughts on like a raw vegan diet and everyone having to eat raw. Mm, raw vegans.
1: Oh, uh, raw vegans. So with raw vegan, I think eating tons of fresh produce is great. I will never say like, don't eat fresh produce, Mm -hmm. but I don't think you need to be as extreme as raw, especially because I've seen a lot of times people will be like, oh, I'm a raw vegan and it'll last for like one to two months and it got too hard. So they go back completely to what their old diet was before. And Mm -hmm. it's just because they were giving themselves too many parameters to fit in. Mm -hmm. Whereas if they were just eating plant-based foods and maybe incorporating some raw meals here and there because they liked them and not because they felt like they had to have them, then that would be better long-term success for them.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I kind of, it kind of bothers me how it kind of by default frames cooked foods as being like bad for us, but there's nothing wrong with like cooked whole foods like you even want to eat cooked um beans and stuff because like kind of back to the lectin conversation there are high levels in certain like like kidney beans for example you'd never want to eat raw (laughs) um like I think you could like you can get really really sick from that and that is because of like the lectin content in raw kidney beans but like you like it's beneficial to cook these things so there's nothing wrong with cooking um like our our beans and whole grains and if you want like cooked vegetables like there's nothing um toxic or bad that's created um when we cook our our whole plant foods Mm -hmm. so yeah Yeah, I'm glad you tied those together because
1: I was just thinking like, oh, we were just talking about how you should cook different foods or like how you usually don't eat foods with lectins raw anyways. Mm -hmm. So like I there's nothing wrong with raw foods. There's nothing wrong with cooked foods. There is something wrong with really restrictive eating and putting yourself in a small box that you can't do sustainably.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of like, I don't, follow um too many like vegan youtubers or influencers or anything but I know when someone does come out as being like not vegan anymore there has been like a common theme where a lot of these ex-vegans were like raw or like trying to eat like all fruit kind of thing and it's just yeah it's unnecessary and it's not sustainable um and yeah if it means that they're Going to blame like health issues on them being vegan when really they just like were eating a very like restrictive, unbalanced vegan diet. Like that makes the whole, um, like all of veganism look bad.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I recently just saw someone on social. They were posting like what I eat in a day. Mm-hmm. And they had for breakfast half of a pineapple with 12 sumo oranges. and and then for lunch they had like this green smoothie drink Mm -hmm. and then like a liter of coconut water and then for dinner they had uh, like I think it was like romaine lettuce or something with another four to five oranges with a little bit of some type of dressing and hemp seeds and that was what they ate in a day (laughs)
0: Wow. Like, yeah, like that's not kind of the picture of what like a, like a sustainable balanced um, vegan diet looks like to me.
1: Me either. I was like, you're, you're, as I was watching it, I was like, oh my gosh, you're missing so much. I hope you, and there's no way you could sustainably do that
0: long-term No. No. and live healthfully. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I don't know, like I know, I like maybe that person was in Hawaii or something but like no, I in don't Arizona. Oh my gosh, okay. Yeah, it, like when it's cold out, I don't want like so many cold things all the time. I'm craving like warm stuff.
1: Yeah, soup, give me some chili, give me yeah. some
0: something. Yeah, exactly. Um Yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm totally like With you, what you said, like, I want people to eat lots of, like, raw fruits and veggies, of course. like, But to try to, like, adhere 100% to that and kind of view other cooked foods as bad is not, like, a healthy relationship with food, I don't think. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I also think it's hard for people... Mentally too, if you put yourself in a box and be like, oh, I'm raw vegan, mm-hmm. then you feel like you have to be raw vegan. And if your all your meals aren't raw, then you're doing something wrong. And then yeah. it's just a downward spiral from there.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. So that's like avoiding soy and gluten unnecessarily is maybe like um like a myth or misconception I see in the vegan community still. what about you?
1: Yeah, I see soy all the time. I actually have a whole education curriculum around soy and why you should eat soy and how it's not bad for you um it can be bad if you have like different thyroid issues potentially but not for every single person um and that's because of different like medications and Mm -hmm. hormones and different things that go on but for the general public i love soy i think people should eat more soy A lot of research has been done on Asian countries and how they have such low incidence of breast cancer because they start eating soy at such a young age, women do, or -hmm. girls, Um, and I think that's great, like there's so many research studies about that, so I feel like that's great evidence to why we should also incorporate doing Mm -hmm. more of that here, because in the U.S. we have a really high incidence of breast cancer. Yeah
0: yeah that's really important I have a whole um like article on my blog as well about like why people shouldn't avoid soy um yeah it's I mean I can see like how non-vegans if they're just like seeing like the propaganda about it like (laughs) you know maybe put out by like the meat and dairy industry believing that but then when I see it like within the vegan community I'm like oh no 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 like like let's let's get the correct information out there um it's I mean it's just a bean and like I don't even consider like tempeh or tofu like highly processed like to me like it's there it's just like beans pressed together so I Mm -hmm. count it as like like not a hundred percent whole food but I don't put it in like a processed food category
1: Yeah. I don't, the only thing I put in that processed food category, that soy is I think TBP. Yeah. And then I'm like, if you want tempeh, go for it. If you want tofu, go for it. I'll teach you how to season it. I'll teach you how to cook it. (laughs) Eat it more.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's the thing too. Like a lot of people that I talk to that aren't um, vegan that have tried like tofu, they think it's just like totally tasteless, but they probably had it in a restaurant that like wasn't you know didn't really know what they were doing so Mm -hmm. that's unfortunate when someone's like first experience with tofu is like super bland because you can do so much with it and like yeah maybe there's a bit of a learning curve like like in your book do you have different ways to prepare tofu or um do you have it like on your website somewhere
1: um not in my book I don't have I have different tofu recipes with a little bit of guidance but not an in-depth tutorial on like what to do Mm -hmm. Um, but on my Instagram page I have a lot of tofu education on like how to press tofu how to season tofu how to make tofu kebabs how to make tofu scramble um like all of the how to make ooh tempeh bacon I don't know if you've tried that but it's so good Mm -hmm. I like that
0: too nice yeah I don't know um what brands you have in the states but in Canada there's a couple of brands that Um, are like pre-cut and marinated pieces of tempeh that you just like can heat up and like that is so delicious and easy oh yeah um because yeah sometimes that whole marinating step if someone doesn't have time it's like I just want something that's already seasoned Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's so helpful especially on busy nights yeah totally or days um, I'm wondering if there were any other kind of myths that we haven't addressed yet that you wanted to,
1: um, let's
0: see. I'm going to the
1: Excel sheet. I added. There yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I think we got them all. Okay. Great. Well, yeah, I hope, um, I hope that we address like some common questions or concerns or misconceptions that are out there for people. Um, and did you have any like last tips or um, advice for anyone that's like interested in going vegan or already is vegan? I don't even know how many non-vegans listen to our show. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> like, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about?
1: My biggest tip for people who are transitioning to vegan eating or already vegan is just to give it your best. Like, don't feel like you have to beat yourself up. Like if you have one meal that you're not super confident in, or you're like, "Mm, I wish that I did that differently. I always say, don't let it ruin your day because it's like, if you get into a minor fender bender or something like, sure, it sucks in the moment, but at the end of the day, all it is, is a dent in your bumper and you can keep going. It's not like your car is totaled and you have to like go through that whole process. You just have to, to kind of regroup and decide what to do next, because every meal is an opportunity to make different choices.
0: I love that. Yeah. And it takes the stress off too. Like Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Oh, yeah, you've kind of said you kind of went vegan like quite quickly, but for me, it was like a very long transition period. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, that was in the 90s, so it was quite different (laughs) back then. Um, uh, But yeah, yeah, I love that. Like, just take the pressure off, take it one step at a time. Um, Yeah, anything else that you wanted to talk about? I'll put a link to your book and your website and everything um, for people that um, so they can get the slow cooker for two recipes. I think that's awesome. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I don't think I have anything else. But thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It was so fun to talk to you. I always like talking to people who also love nutrition, and it's um, just a really good time.
0: Yeah, thank you so much um, for being on the show and yeah like being able to chat so much about nutrition with someone is amazing i love it um so yeah thank you so much for being here you are welcome